Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, I'm Mike Tunnell, and welcome back to another episode of Hire the Smile. And Katie, my absolutely dependable, makes the show better co-host, Katie Arline, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks so much. Is there something you need from me? Is that why I got all those accolades there at the beginning? <laughs> well, uh, we, we'll talk later. No, it's just, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, we're the kind of thing I think one's good, two's better. So Fair enough. Uh, we're all good. But we have a special guest, uh, something a little bit different from what we normally do. We are joined by a colleague of ours of Oculus, based in our cousin's branch of Oculus BV over in the Netherlands. We'd like to welcome Dr. Bob van der Heiden. Bob, welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. You do a lot of exciting things, what you're doing over in the Netherlands but before we get into it, I just want everybody to understand a little bit of who you are, where you came from. It all sort of fits in. So I think if you just maybe share your background as a veterinarian and what you're doing now. And uh, I also want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, human resource challenges and opportunities you're seeing in Europe. I think we have a very international audience. And I think it's always interesting for people, let's say for ourselves in Canada or North America, to know what's going on in Europe or the EU and see if what we have in common or what's what's different. So first of all, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Okay, thank you for this uh, introduction. Well, I'm trained as an equine veterinarian. I left university in 98 and uh, started to work as an equine practitioner. And I worked as an employee in a practice, in a big practice. I had my own practice with somebody else and finally a, a solo equine practice in the south of the Netherlands. And in about 2009, I had a sort of accident with a horse and I injured my back. And it became clear to me that staying a veterinarian until uh, old age was <laughs> probably not going to happen. I decided to change direction. Um, I did all kinds of things, but more about that probably later. And uh, right now, what I'm doing right now is I have my own company and I work as a coach and a trainer. That's mainly for medical professionals. So my customers could be veterinarians, but also general practitioners, physiotherapists, uh, or specialists in a hospital. Some clients are sent to me by um, insurance companies in the Netherlands. They have the privilege of six hours coaching within the package. And well, I think that in my work, coaching is, is often initiated on the workplace, uh, but it's never only about 
work. There is no strict line between work, life, private life. So we talk about life. And the training part is what I do is uh, mostly about the interaction within a team. It's team development. Where do we want to go as an organization, as a team or as a team member? And important to me is to always ask this question what is what is important to you what is important to to you as a person for you in your team or as an organization and how can we express this in a work uh, situation in january you already told us i became part of uh, oculus in in europe together with uh, Job Lomans and uh, rob kibo and my contribution in that is in the coaching and the training part of the of the business and Next to that, I introduced gamification as a possibility to develop organizations in a new and, and fun way. Yeah, and the gamification is something I'm really interested in sharing. So we'll get to that. Let's talk a lot about that. Okay. So Bob, can you tell us how you made the transition from being a practicing equine veterinarian to the coaching world and, and what you're doing now? Yes, of course. Uh, I already told you the start for me was a, a back injury in 2009. Mm-hmm. But after that, I, I started with uh, NLP training. And NLP, that's neuro-linguistic programming. It was mainly to discover what I, what I was going to do myself. NLP uses all kinds of perceptual and behavioral and communication techniques to make it easier for people to change their thoughts, their actions, their emotions. I became more and more interested in how we make our choices and, and, and the limitations we apply to ourselves and internal and external conflicts we end up in. Some more courses followed, then I became an NLP master practitioner, a trained mediator, and finally an NLP trainer. And in 2017, I stopped as a practitioner. Uh, it was too hard to keep the practice going and start a new business. At some point, I had to make a choice and, and I choose the, the new direction. And, uh, Turned out really well. Never had regrets. And uh, that's where I'm at now, having my own business in coaching and training. So, Bob, you know, you have a unique view of things, obviously, being in the EU and seeing veterinary practices as well as uh, other medical professionals. What are some of the bigger HR challenges that you're seeing vet practices facing these days in your area of uh, practice over there in Europe? Uh, Nice question. I don't know if these examples are, are, are the biggest problems in, sure. in our uh, country, but at least I encounter them and look at them from my perspective. I think that finding new employees and keeping them within your practice is a, is a big challenge nowadays. Uh, yeah. And uh, probably the same with you. And That's number one uh, in North America. Uh, yeah. Yes. Actually, I see this problem as well in, in, in veterinary profession as in the younger general practitioner clients I got. They are at the end of their trainings and they, so they, they're already working in these practices and they find themselves in a place that they start asking questions. Is, is this really what I want to do? Or is this stress something I need to take with me the rest of my life? So they, some of them step out and we can provide coaching and talk about this and maybe change their perspective. But the course they provide is mostly about it's time 
work-related stress and they experience a lack of supervision and guidance. And I think that in the veterinary profession, the same challenges are visible. It's good that more research is, is, is done in this direction. For sure. And another problem, what we see next to keeping people uh, within the profession is, uh, well, actually performing as a team. And uh, organizations are getting bigger and bigger and people need to work together more and more. And they are getting more dependent on each other. So you need to do your work in a proper way to let me do my work. And, and in that way, people end up in all kinds of conflicts. And I think, or in my experience, uh, a lot of veterinarians are still not fully equipped to, to talk about these problems and manage these problems in a constructive way. Really, uh, there is a big change going, but more can be done. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Uh, and I hadn't necessarily thought of it that way. But thinking about some of the practices that we work with over here in North America, and just the size, perhaps when uh, you started practicing, a veterinary practice with 15 equine vets might have been unheard of, or even small animal vets might have been unheard yes. of. But the way things are going now, and just the growth of the industry, I guess, worldwide, really, people who perhaps like to sort of be by themselves and, and just do their thing and be with the animals. Now they have to function with the team. So that's definitely a, a interesting place for conflict to arise. Yeah. And it's, it's not only uh, between veterinarians, it's the interaction oh, sure. between veterinarians and technicians and, and other staff as well. So Bob, the one thing I have learned from visiting vet practices in the Netherlands, uh, other parts of the EU is they seem to be much larger than they are in North America, uh, or you'll have multi-species. So, you know, you have truly big mixed practices. So my question is, in terms of how people work with teams, is this a new thing or is this just something that has always been a challenge because of the size of the practices in, let's say, the Netherlands? Good question. I think that the practices keep on growing bigger and bigger. And if you go like 10, 15 years back, you had some a few bigger practices, but most of them are small. And if you look at them right now, there's still quite a few uh, smaller practices. But I think it has to do with the, the way a practice is managed and all things that come to that. Uh, you need to have more agreement about how to do the work, how to act uh, to your clients and to the people working for you because they're more demanding. So things changed and not all the practices changed with that. And, and if you work with a lot of people, well, you have more problems or at, at least more challenges to, to cope with. Uh, the, the start of it all is that you need to talk about it and, and come to an agreement about how you are going to do something. And that's something, at least when I was at vet school, we didn't get any training in that. So what do you think are the biggest opportunities to solve these two challenges? We have the one of not enough staff, and then we have the teamwork. So let's deal with the not enough staff. So what do you think are the opportunities to well, reduce the problem? I don't know if we'll ever eliminate it, but at least reduce the problem. Well, in my perspective, they are both sort of part of the same problem. I translate it to 
a working climate or environment what is not supported enough to our needs and that's that's very broad but this support and and lack of support it's just translated in in behavior what we see on the work floor and that's not only about how we build our relationships with colleagues it's also about transparency clarity of the agreement we make of how we work together and i think there are a lot of opportunities to work with these challenges but keep in mind that the result of your effort should be a more supported behavior within the organization and in that way a contribution to a better work environment at least that, that's the way i look to it i think the problem is that uh, behavior is not changed just by telling people to behave differently. Because maybe if you look at your own practice, how many times did you see that an agreement on the level of behavior lasted for a longer time? You just told them, do it differently, and everybody did so. Most of the times, it's maybe for a day, but not very long. Um, it's not sustained change. No. No, no, it's something we try and, and you do it one time and it's not really for me and I go back to my own thing. So that's where it's getting interesting. And to change behavior, I think we need to have at least start with the skills and the knowledge to behave differently. For example, if you you work in a practice and, and, and you encounter a, an angry customer, angry client, and the only way you have to react on that is well, just stay quiet, walk away, or get angry yourself, or start to, to have tears in your eyes, or whatever. First, you need to learn to have the skills to react differently. So you need to learn how to encounter that. And if you learn that, then there is even a step above that. So after that, you need to believe that this change is for the better. So if you show the different behavior, you will end up in a better place. So next to skills, you, you need to work on values and beliefs because those two are the way we evaluate our own actions, but also the actions of other people. So I think those skills and beliefs that are driving the behavior you see on, on the work floor. And if you want to make a lasting change, start with investigating and talking about values and beliefs. Well, from my background, uh, this is a way I like to work. And an easy way to start with it within your practice is by simply asking people what, what is really important to you. And if they have an answer, just, well, say it again. And What's even more important? Because you will find the most precious values and beliefs from which they act in your company. And you can do this on personal level. You can do this on a team level. Uh, so for the team, what are the values you work from? And make a translation. How is this translated to actual behavior on the working place? And you can align that with the company values. So if you have those three, you have a really good start to get your company a, a step further. Because if people leave your practice or, or, or if they go burned out or they end up in a conflict, just remember, it all starts with some violation of their values. So mm -hmm. it's really interesting to know what your colleagues appreciate most. 
because this can explain their behavior very much. I think that's really interesting, Bob, because we do talk a lot about the company's values, but we don't necessarily link it explicitly anyway or outwardly to personal values. So uh, do you have exercises where staff do share sort of their personal values with the bigger group or is it in a smaller one-on-one or a coaching type situation? No, we do this in groups and it's, it's really interesting to see. You can even start with the company values. I have this exercise and you put up the company value and people let them note on a post-it uh, what this means to them. Uh, a lot of times you find values like do it together or something. So that'll be the value. And then they write down on the post-it what together means to them. And then you have a team working under the same company values and they all have a different explanation for it. Yeah. So a value is something in which you need to be really clear what the behavior is which comes with that value. Because otherwise you can work to the same company value and do something totally different. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to end up in a conflict because the one is going in that direction and the other is going in the opposite one. And they're working on the same thing. So you, you can do this on the level of company values, but it's, it's really nice to, to do it on, on team level. So what are for you and your team uh, your four most important values and translate them to what do I see as an outstander when these values are, well, lift up to on the work floor. And it, it makes a lot of things clear. And a good way to start with this whole exercise is let people find their personal values, mm-hmm. uh, just to train them to talk about it because it's, it's quite a challenge to, to do this. Definitely. And I really, I I mean, I totally agree. You know, it's sort of the difference between having values that somebody five years ago picked and they're up on the wall and they're just a single word that people look at uh, on their way to the washroom, (laughs) but they don't necessarily mean anything to them. So filling it out, what are the behaviors? What are the core behaviors that go along with these values? What does this look like? And having people, you know, even have examples like at this practice, this is what this looks like. Uh, Yes. It's so helpful. I think it's a very nice point to start with and go from there in any training. Absolutely. So the one area I really want to dig into, because I think this is such a a new thing for the vet profession, I think probably for any profession, is in, in terms of, I was going to just say this is what it does, but I, I want to let you do it. So Bob, <laughs> you brought the concept of gamification to Oculus. You've been able to do this with uh, some clients. Tell us what is gamification. Well, let me try. <laughs> Just if you really theoretical, um, well, gamification is, is the use of game elements and game design techniques in a non-game context. That's a mouthful. More simply, apply a game layer over daily work activities to make them more fun, and in the meanwhile, provide the player with opportunities to to learn and solve problems. Let me ask a clarification, because when I hear game theory, uh, game design, when I first heard about this, I was like, is this video games? Is this a card game? Is this mental mind games we play on each other? Like, what what kind of (laughs) games are we talking about? (laughs) 
Yeah, well, that's really good to ask for that because most people, if you use the word game somewhere, then they end up there in the video games and, and, and that sort of things. And there, there is a big difference between those games and gamification. And uh, we use some of the elements within these games in a sort of a project to get a behavioral change in a working place or for an organization. And, and those elements are that if you do a video game, you, you get points if you achieve something and you go on a quest or, and you have your own avatar. So you have your alter ego, uh, which looks, well, differently from what you look like yourself. Uh, we use things like game progression. So you see what you achieve during a certain time or within the whole program. And, and you go from level to level. You use the social interactions like in a lot of team games you, you can do on, on the multiplayer games on, on the internet. So you do it together and, and you exchange thoughts, feelings, or show off with your new uh, one badge. And leaderboards is something you use we use so so we can see how the team is doing in comparison to other teams and by using those elements you create people like to develop to learn to to win to uh solve problems if you do if you make a a puzzle that you solve a problem and it feels good if you made it you you made this achievement and you get a sort of a dopamine rush and those elements we take and try to put them in a layer over the normal daily working context so how would this be done in a veterinary practice so maybe you can walk us through the steps because i said this is such a new concept and i just want to make sure the people that are listening to this understand a how it works and B, what are the situations you would use it for? Or like, what are you trying to achieve in a vet practice? Yeah, I think a little bit more about the background. Part of gamification is based on behaviorism. And uh, what you do is, well, you provide a stimulus, uh, which leads to a certain behavior. I think every veterinarian knows uh, the the Pavlov reflex. And it's the most basic form of behaviorism. But we add consequences. Right? So there's a trigger, there's a behavior, and there's a consequence. And the consequences in the game are you get points or rewards, badges, your progress. And by doing this, you have a sort of a direct feedback loop. So you do something, something happens, and you get your feedback about how it's done. Well, if you do this, if you if you want to use this, you need to trigger this feedback loop, this this behavioral change for at least four to six weeks. You, this is a period you need uh, to train people to get a new thing become normal. You need to create those new well neural pathways to to get them activated and well that that they be used. So we provide. Uh, practice with a game lasting between four and six weeks. And then when would it be helpful for a practice? Well, we just started to discover all the possibilities <laughs> and they are plenty. But I think I can give you two examples from things we're doing right now. One is uh, we, we have one game in which you 
travel with your team around the world. It's called uh, Globetrotters. And you go to six continents and you have to perform certain tasks. And these are quests, assignments, knowledge battles against each other, things like with personal values, find your per- your own personal values and uh, talk about your team values. Uh, that's an exercise as well. And the goal of the game is to boost actually teamwork, team performance, and uh, resilience. So that's the core of the of the game. That's what we aim at. So they, those players, they formulated their, their values, team values, uh, translated it to the work floor. Then you get a part of it where you go to uh, talk about core qualities and, and what are your unique qualities and pitfalls and, and, and start to make them uh, smart in different steps. So all these parts are given to them in assignments, in videos, in audio. We can use everything we want in that. And every step they make is then actually translated to a practice situation. So you, you play it in the game, you go around the world, You the, the storyline in there is about, uh, well, every continent has its own story and, and things to do. And if you finish a continent, then you've got badges and uh, you can see the achievements. You can see how your team is doing compared to the other teams. It ends up for the players with a five-minute presentation about their world trip they made. And that'll be the end of it. Um, it sounds like it's something that's fun. You're sharing the information that you would want to anyhow as a company leader. But it almost seems to me as you're talking about it is because it's a game, people may actually press out of their comfort zones because the consequences aren't severe. Like if you had to do it, like if you're interacting with two people, real world situation, and you're asking somebody to alter their behavior, that's a big leap sometimes for a person. Yes. That's something different. But in a game, you know, like any other game, you can sort of expand what you do, what who you are. You see the consequences of it. You see the either the positive outcome or the negative outcome. And then if you're repeating it over and over for the several weeks that you talk about, it develops a new habit. Exactly. You you put it just right. And that's where the avatar comes in. If it goes well, it's me who is doing it. If if, if you do not succeed at a certain point, well, then it's the avatar. It's my alter ego Mm. in the game who who just failed this task and I'm I'm going to do it again. We have the term, and I don't know what it is in Dutch, but we talk about cosplay where you play a character or you dress up as a character. You know, yes. you see all these people at conventions and they're dressed up like Star Wars and, and Star Trek characters type <laughs> thing. So it's it's not you doing it. And so no, you it, sort of have more permission to do the behavior that you normally wouldn't do. Exactly. In a very safe spot. Yes. Because if you screw up, you can just say, well, that was not me. That was my avatar. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and that's what we try to do is to sort of build a really safe place where you can try and where you can talk to your colleagues within your team uh, or with other teams uh, about what you are doing. And if you're doing it, uh, you're doing it right. Well, you, you get those points. And, and, and if it's not working the first time, well, just ask for help. And a part of the game is asking for help at your colleagues because yeah. I need something from you and, and it's important to me to, to get along with you all. So help me. 
because communication is a big part of the game. And we try to let people just in a playful way make their questions to the other more specific. What specifically do I want from you? What are my possibilities to ask that in the right way? And for the one who is listening, do I have all the information I need to perform the task which is asked from me? Mm-hmm. And and you see that in a lot of practices. And that's where I started with uh, one of those two problems, that people simply are not specific enough if they want something from another. And, and if you're depending on each other and the, there is a big part of the task not clear, then either you try to do something with the risk that it's the wrong thing, or you simply you're not doing it at all because you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in both situations, you end up in sort of a conflict because you didn't deliver what was expected. Those things are, are sort of put in this game just to try and to see what, what happens if you do it that way. And we have some really nice audio fragments to do that about clinical situations and Actually, uh, Yop and Rob, they play uh, veterinarian and, and customer clients and talk about that. It seems to me, though, I'm just trying to think of the situations, and I know um, I'm thinking of some practices Katie and I have worked with, is as you're trying to do change or getting a team aligned, uh, it's really hard unless you're there all the time. And then you can also get into a problem as a team leader or manager that you you tend to micromanage because you're trying to change this behavior several times a day. In this way, you're offloading the day-to-day overview to this game. And then over time, they're learning this behavior on their own. They're not going to resent their managers because it's like, oh, here they come again to tell me how to do something. Yes, you're working on a certain topic every day for, for about 10 to 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and you can have a bigger discussion about a team assignment once a week, but it's more spread out. I, I think the single training is not enough to change behavior. No, uh, You can talk about it. You can let people try. But to me, it's not really likely that they will succeed to, to change it in a work situation. You, you fall back in, in what was yeah. normal before. Yeah. Uh, so this is a way to just extend that training. I think the best way to do it is a combination. You have uh, a training program uh, or something, and, and you follow it up with a game. It's all part of a gamification project, but but there are live trainings in there. So you you got this real interaction. You can really try it, and and then in the following weeks, every day you you're you're sort of remembered. You, something is add to it. You you need to give it a try with something. You get this feedback contest. Well, just get so many people to to give you feedback on a certain topic, and well, what are you going to do with that? And and our challenge is how to keep that fun because mm-hmm. feedback is one of, one of the most important things and, and how, how can you do it in a fun way? Yeah, it's fascinating. As we've been talking about it, it's all, all of a sudden all the pieces have come into place of the puzzle and now I'm starting to really understand it and understand what you saw in, it in the very first place. I think this is wonderful. There is another good use for gamification, for example, the onboarding process. And, and yeah. uh, that's that's another area to to really look into because 
you got these new employees and it would be very nice if you have a fun way to learn them about your your company values, your behaviors, the skills they need to work in your organization. And they're doing a little bit of that every day uh, within the game. And they're earning their points. They're earning their badges. And, and after a week, they, they have their first week badge, which, which means that they can do this and this. And in the meanwhile, while they are learning, management can simply track their progress. Mm-hmm. Because they can see, okay, how many tries uh, did they need to take to make an assignment or answer these questions? And how far are they? Which batches are, are already there? And you can make this a sort of a solo game. So play by one player at, at a time. I think that's another one, which is yeah. really interesting to look into. So Bob, is there anything in particular uh, or a couple of things that you've learned since you started doing gamification with practices? Now you've, you've been doing it in a few practices for a number of months now. Are there any sort of big takeaways that you've had from it or unexpected pluses or minuses that you found? Yeah, obviously it's possible to alter behavior <laughs> by letting play a game. There are a lot of possibilities within the, in the platform we use and how you can really uh, combine it with your uh, normal training and coaching and uh, but one thing I, I learned is that you simply never know at forehand what will make the most impact within the group playing the game within the player group and uh, we have this topic called doctors make mistakes uh, we use a video uh, as an introduction to a discussion about psychological safety which means that do I feel free and safe enough to mm. speak up within my organization? And the reactions of the players uh, on, on this topic were a real eye-opener for, for management and for us. It made me think that maybe uh, at a certain point we can use these games to go into a practice and find out what's really going on in this organization, where do they need development? Where do they need some training? Because there are a lot of different topics in there and you don't know what will pop up for them. Uh, then in a follow-up process, you could work with that. So that's an, another way of using it. But you never know what is going to happen. That's, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. So I, what I, I want to make sure we, we mentioned, though, is that, I mean, you can get more information on this going to the Oculus Insights, oculusinsights.net, look underneath Tame Training. We have a whole section. It'll bring you to the EU version of the Oculus website, and there's much more information on it. I want to make sure everybody knows is that Bob and his team have taken this program and has made it specifically for vet practices. So it's not like you're using a system that's used in another industry, another profession. This is very vet centric. Yeah, I think this is fascinating. And I really encourage people to go online, have a look at it. Bob has written up a a very uh, detailed overview of it, which I think it's fascinating if anybody has more information. So Bob, thank you. This has been great. This has really, really been informative. I hope people sense my excitement about this and are, and are curious <laughs> and, and want to check it out. Well, you're welcome. I like to talk about this and the backgrounds. And I'm still learning a lot every day about uh, this gamification thing. I'm actually doing a, a course about it right now just to extend my knowledge. And, and it's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.